Hello everyone, before this week's show begins, I have an update for you regarding the planned events happening this weekend, the 14th and 15th of March, um, centred around the Analog Spotlight. As you hopefully all know by now, the photography show at the NEC was um, postponed on Monday until September. Originally a plucky group of Analog entrepreneurs, uh, including Hamish Gill and You Hope for Come and Rescue and Steve Lloyd and Sam Cornwell, etc, 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 we had all planned to try and make something of it and have a get-together at the kiln in Worcester, Hamish's co-workspace. However, in the light of the developing situation and the advice being put out there by the World Health Organization and many other bodies, we have decided to cancel both the photo walk on the Saturday and the meeting up uh, on the Sunday. Um, we're really sorry to be doing this, but we just think it would be irresponsible uh, to proceed with these at this point when it looks almost 100% certain that we're going to be moving into the delay phase. And the general advice is don't travel and don't meet up unless you have to. And we'll have plenty of opportunities once the situation is stabilised to put on a fantastic event in the future. I will leave you now to enjoy the rest of this podcast, which is a fantastic conversation with the awesome Brendan Barry. Um, but obviously, ignore the <laughs> bit at the end where we talk about what we're doing at the weekend. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. On with the show. <laughs> Hey everybody and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast. Uh, my name is Aid, and uh, this is show number 193 I think and if you get this today it goes out uh, you'll be listening to it just before the photography show weekend. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah. that's a teaser right we'll come back to that we'll come to hold that thought we'll come back to it um let's first say hello to my giggling buddies rach and graham rach how you doing <laughs> hiya yes i'm here um what a day it's been um but very excited to be here and chat with obviously yourselves and our super special guest ah yes uh yes graham how are you doing I am doing very well as well. It has been a fairly chaotic evening, which, as you said, we will talk about later. <laughs> why it's the why it's been so chaotic? But I'm all good. It's lovely to be here, and I am so just so excited to talk to our guest this evening because it it feels like it was a long time in the coming. Well, <laughs> well, 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 don't keep us waiting any longer. Why don't you introduce our guest? Okay, so yeah, really, I'm very excited because tonight we have got with us the gentleman who, uh, through his many and various projects, has made cameras out of everything from uh, lifts to loaves of bread. Uh, but most importantly, he has made he has fought back against the awful trend of camera lamps and made a lamp into a camera. It can, of course, be the one and only Brendan Barry. Brendan, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. It's an absolute delight to have you here. Um, I think a lot of our listeners will probably be familiar with you um, because your stuff, when when you see it on Instagram, it's quite arresting in its nature. A lot of the work you do um, tends to leap out and grab people's attention um, because, as I mentioned, you have made cameras from almost anything that you probably shouldn't make a camera out of um <laughs> i'm sure we'll talk about some of them later um how on earth did you get 
to the point in your life where that's kind of your raison d'etre, really. The, the, the main thing, not the main thing, but a large part of what you're doing is making things which you wouldn't normally use to capture photographic medium into things that can do exactly that. How did you get to that point? Oh, my God. Um, well, that's quite a long story. Um, <laughs> but um, I don't know. What's the, what's the sort of short person of that? Um, I think I'd, I'd, for a long time I'd wanted to build my own camera. And I sort of set about that task probably maybe three or four years ago. And um, I'd always loved making stuff and I'd loved photography and particularly analogue photography. So um, I kind of found myself in a, in a place where I needed something to do, quite simply. And, um, uh, and I decided to build my own large format camera because at the time I was shooting with a 4x5-inch camera. Um, but I didn't, I'd ended up building a 16x20-inch camera. Um, I've said this before, but I think the main reason for that is... Um, because it's way easier to build a bigger camera because there's more margin for error and you don't have to be so precise and things. So I, and, that, and, it, and it ended up working just about, um, and I really enjoyed it. And then I can't really remember what happened next, but I basically just one day, I think one of the next ones was the pineapple camera. And I just remember sort of looking at a pineapple one day and going, <laughs> you can make a camera out of that. Um, and so I did. Um, and it was really fun. And, pe and, the, and the great thing about it was that people really responded to it. You know, I put it up on my Instagram probably at the time and, um, and people found it really fun and playful and kind of, you know, a little bit subversive, you could say in some ways. And, um, and then I just kind of kept looking at things. And I think one of the next ones I made was an enlarger camera. And, and that was really just for looking at an enlarger one day. I was like, that's just a kind of backwards and that's like a backwards camera, really, where you need to add a few bits to it. Um, and then from there, it just, you know, every now and then I just sort of look at something. I, I have this thing where I, I, every now and then I sort of sit down and go, right, I'm going to make a new camera. Uh, and I try and think of things that I could make a camera out of. And I never, ever, ever come up with anything good. It's always really forced and laboured and just tacky and cheesy and rubbish. Um, and then, I mean, yeah, quite I literally cheesy in some <laughs> cases. <laughs> Indeed. But, um, but so it always just comes like walking past a fruit and veg shop or just like sitting and looking at something, aimless, you know, aimlessly kind of gazing around and going, oh, you can make a camera out of that. And uh, yeah, so that's, and I think it's, um, yeah, I've just kind of stuck at it because I think partly just because it's a really, yeah, really fun, easy, relatively easy. Like now it's got to the point where I can kind of look at things and, and, and they're not, I mean, one thing I, I really do like to stress is that, you know, there are people out there who can, who can make the most intricately beautiful engineered pieces of machinery that are kind of, you know, just incredible kind of pieces of art in themselves, you know, and just technically just, you know, um, incredible and, 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 you know, really aesthetically beautiful as well. And, um, and I, you know, take my hands off to those people. And, you know, so a lot of my stuff is, it is, it's just about having fun and breaking down you know kind of the sort of slightly snobby nature that some people have towards what a camera is and what it can do and um yeah it's kind of the long and short of it really so this all began essentially just as a, a creative offshoot for you because you you've been working um in education and photography for quite some time haven't you yeah that's right yeah i was um i i was i'd been i'd worked as a sort of photographer kind of freelance and i was just was a graphic designer for a while and a set designer and various things and and was but it was sort of predominantly commercial stuff basically and um 
and and that was great and that you know i had a half decent living out of it just about um uh but i got to the point where i'd kind of lost touch with my sort of passion and interest in photography because i was just taking pictures for other people and um so you come in from a day of work photographing things for other people it's quite harder to find the energy to do stuff for yourself so um i ended up going back and studying i did a master's in photography um and then and that's what kind of uh, and I quit working commercially, and that's what kind of reignited my my passion, um, you know, for the subject and the medium. Um, and and through that, I I kind of went into teaching, um, and and that's I think it, there's that's where sort of everything kind of start kind of started to fit together in a way because I love making stuff as I mentioned, and obviously I love image making and particularly working with kind of analog, alternative and kind of traditional processes. And then the educational side of it as well. I love working with people and I love kind of drawing knowledge out of people. Um, so the way that I work now, I think, has been, you know, a long time coming in some respects. But it's a combination of those three. Um, it's a kind of, you know, work making cameras with a group of people to capture images with them. Yeah, because you, you've moved on to sort of a bigger stuff, haven't you? I mean, just whilst we're still on the subject of some of the smaller stuff, um, as you know, you've already said, you you get inspired by stuff you see around, and um, you have made cameras out of all sorts of stuff. Like I said, there's a camera made out of a block of cheese and a pumpkin. Um, are, are there any things that you thought I'm going to make a camera out of that, and that then life has pointed out to you that no, you're not going to make a camera out of that? Was there a, a brie camera as opposed to a cherry <laughs> that, that turned out to be a real disaster? You don't want to know how long. How much work went into picking the right cheese? I got some really weird looks and had some very confused people at various supermarkets and delicatessens. So I was like trying to get the perfect bit of cheese. In fact, I had to order it special in the end because it because it was I needed it a certain size and things like that, and I had to cut it when well, no, I had to cut it down myself. But um, has there been something that uh, I've tried and failed? I sp- I mean, in a way, like I think anyone that's sort of seen most of the cameras, you know, most of them are large format cameras, four by five inch, eight by 10 inch. And the reason for that is quite simple. It's it's a lot easier to make a four by five inch camera because you effectively just, you know, have a, a thing, a space, a box really, and a lens on one end and a ground glass on the other. Um, and so you can, you know, make that out of anything. I, I, some of the critics, well, I remember looking online once, there was a sort of feature on, on, on a blog or something and it was a couple of people put in the comments like, this guy's just, putting lenses on things and it's like well yeah it says that in the article that i'm like <laughs> i'm just messing around this is not i'm not pretending to be a you know master camera builder at all um i think some of the ones that are probably harder to use are the ones that are not um viewfind uh view cameras so i made a the butternut squash runs a 35 millimeter but there's no it's it's not got i mean that uh, I'm definitely working towards making a kind of lens reflex or I've, I've made, I've got a couple of prototypes for twins lens, twin lens cameras. So you can kind of um, focus through one of the lenses and, and then shoot cool. through the other one. But with a 35 mil, there's no, um, you know, there's no mirror in it or anything. So, so you kind of, I had to sort of work out a focal distance, just guesswork and eye and various things like that. And the, the pineapple one is that's fixed focus, but it's an arm's length away. So it's a perfect selfie camera. Did you ever have any? Did you ever have any like? Um, if you, uh, I know that obviously Graham and myself have both had a go at making cameras out of various fruit and veg and things like that, and and I um, I made one out of a coconut, 
and um it was really condensation the condensation inside was a real nightmare because i was using um photographic paper basically is to do it on a paper neck and uh, i found that that was a real a real problem is anything like that been issues for you like that it's not work it's kind of worked but there's been like oh well i wasn't expecting there to be a whole load of condensation that's that's wrecking the the uh, emulsion and things like that as well yeah i think um yeah with the kind of fruit cameras especially they get really sticky and then like yeah, yeah you get kind <laughs> of juice on the print and stuff but you know obviously you don't yeah make a camera out of a watermelon and, and you know to, expect to not <laughs> expect it to work perfectly yeah. like a kind of chamonix or vista or something um what was yours uh, was it? it was pepper wasn't it i think <laughs> yeah i tried making out a pepper Turns a green out pep- pepper not a red pepper <laughs> yeah <laughs> i didn't think that one fully through that might be fun yeah interesting yeah Aid, have you ever made one out of a, a fruit or veg? I've never made a camera. Uh, I don't think I've never made a camera out of anything at all. So, oh, to, well, to... we've got the whole range. I am. Um, <laughs> I, I would not advise. Well, the cheese one worked really well, but I ended up like I made it in my. I've got a shipping container. Well, I've got three shipping mm-hmm. containers actually, but one of them is a workshop and a kind of store space. I've got a desk, a bench, and I can work out. And um, I made it in there and I shot with it a little bit. Um, uh, it was for this German commission thing I did. And then uh, and then I kind of put it back in the container and then shut the doors. <laughs> and I think it was about two weeks later that I came back. Yeah. Just, and it was just one of those things like out of sight, out of mind. And every day I'd be like, oh, I better move that cheese camera. It's probably going mouldy now. And then it was just, oh. And then when I did go back, it was... Um, yeah, it was pretty disgusting. <laughs> it basically, yeah, it moved weirdly. No, um, but uh, I did, I, I, um, I did shoot some more with it actually, because the mold had kind of grown around the edges. So you've got this like sort of weird vignette, which is not through like the lens or anything. It's just mold kind of eating into the into the kind of cavity of the thing, if you like. Sounds oh, so glamorous. Super glamorous life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm intrigued with with a lot of these cameras because, as you said, especially when you're working with four by five and stuff like that, you're essentially making a whole, and and it is relatively straightforward to do it. I mean, I I, I use the word relatively very much, but you know, the the basic structure. Um, What what aspect of it is most appealing to you? Is it the kind of the performative side of the cameras themselves? Or is it about, oh, what can the results be like from this? Because I'd imagine that the results from most of them don't vary hugely if you're using the same kind of lenses and stuff. It, you know, what, what is the big draw for you with it? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, for some of them, you know, I made one out of a TV set the other day. It's an 8 by 10 inch camera and it's got a, you know, it's an eight, you know, large format lens on it, a 350mm, I think it is. And a you know eight by ten inch ground glass kind of back, and I found some old. Uh, did I make the bellows for that one? No, I had some bellows off an old enlarger. I often make my own bellows, but um, sometimes if I've got a set that are from an old camera somewhere, I'll just use them for ease. Um, just all gaffer tape together, and it, and it works exactly the same. Um, it you know it's, you haven't got quite the same movements obviously, but in terms of you just photographing a portrait or a landscape or something straight in front of you. 
Um, it works exactly the same way as um, you know any large format camera, really. Um, so the, this, I, I mean, to be honest with you, it, it's the making of it. It's the mm. um, it's that yeah, that actual part of it. It's the you know that process of of um, yeah, making the, of the image. And then if I'm you know, and I, I work, I've worked with direct positive paper and paper negatives, and I've been working more and more with like uh, with a color reversal RA4 process recently. And so um, the actual image making, the actual kind of capturing of an image is, you know, uh, is not for me necessarily the most exciting bit. It is, it's the making and it's the sort of solving the problems along the way. And, and that, that's a key part of it as well. Like the cheese one, for instance, you know, when I kind of started that, I was like, right, I'll just put a lens on one end and a plate on the other. And, and of course, actually, it wasn't really that simple because you can't really you know, screwing into cheese doesn't really hold <laughs> in the, you know, a screw in a block of cheese will just slip out basically, especially if it's warm. So I had to kind of, you know, get various kind of metal bars and, and cut them down and bolt the, you know, bolt through the front to hold the back on and then work out a way of being able to kind of twist the lens and focus, you know, so it's all those kind of little um, playful problems that you have to solve on the way. So it's, um, and like with the accordion camera I made, you know, I had no idea what was going to be inside the thing. So when I took it apart, it was just let you know, just stuff layers and layers of things that you have to sort of break out and then cut into that bit. But it's in the middle of this tiny little space, so you've got to find some this right saw to get in there and taping stuff back up together. And so yeah, that's this part of it that I love the most. Really, it's just it's the making. You do quite a lot of stuff that's um, outreach stuff and engaging with other people. Do you find that? Um, having some of these crazy cameras is a great way of engaging folks like even if they didn't think they were remotely interested in photography just go what on earth is that and then you've kind of got them on the hook yeah absolutely it's um i think especially in the i've done a couple of workshops um where we've made cameras i did a workshop at the photographer's gallery last year where i bought big box of about 20 watermelons up and with a group of people we all made watermelon just pinhole cameras it was that day um and and when i'm doing other workshops i'll often yeah sometimes start with that if i've got time or sometimes people will have kind of maybe they might look me up or something like that and see stuff and people ask questions about it and um and yeah i mean i think the key thing for me is just is making everything really accessible and being really, I'm very transparent about what I do and what I, the processes that I use, and, you know, um, and how I kind of, you know, make the cameras. And then obviously with the larger, with the kind of camera obscura spaces and things like that, I always, um, you know, anyone that I, I kind of, I should probably shouldn't say this because I'll get an influx of messages, but I'm, I'm quite happy with that. I, um, you know, people, when people ask all the time, like, oh, what lenses do you use and what papers do you use and how do you do this? And I'm more than happy to kind of, share that far and wide you know i think um there is a there's a there's some photographers under and totally understandably and i very much used to be like this are, are, are quite protective of their process and, and they should be i think because some people will work for years to develop a way of working you know and it's, a, it's a combination of a particular camera and a particular lens and a particular time of day that they shoot and a compositional style and um and kind of various post and, and post-production work and lighting kind of techniques and whatever it might be and, and people can kind of spend years honing and refining that so it becomes a real key part of their identity as a, you know or their style if you like and 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 yeah i think it's absolutely right that people are protective of that um but with this way i work because it is you know it's it's 
I develop certain processes within what I'm doing, you know, using an iPhone torch, for instance, to make contact prints, you know, but that's just a, that's just solving a problem, really. It's, um, and a, a big part of it for me is, is a big part of it for me is, 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 is sharing it and kind of getting other people involved, encouraging other people to, to, um, to try it themselves. I mean, that's really, I mean, from my conversations with Rachel, you know, and a lot of the stuff that Rachel is doing is problem solving and figuring out ways to achieve things. And it sounds like you're doing a lot of that stuff as well. And another thing you both have in common is that you are both uh, owner operators of fine, fine caravans. Um, <laughs> was the caravan one of your first bigger projects? Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that. That came about through the, the, that 16 by 20 inch camera that I mentioned, working but not working very well. Um, it wasn't, A, it wasn't entirely light tight, and B, um, I only had one film holder um, with, that could fit one sheet of paper. Um, I just before we, I was going to say we literally just this weekend gone on the last backing paper we had one of our listeners and um, Jonathan mm -hmm. Becker write in who has made a camera just like your 16 by 20 on two tripods and I'm I'm a bit concerned that looking where you went afterwards is he going to end up having to buy a <laughs> caravan is this where this is going and reshipping oh, containers <laughs> I hope so yeah I hope so it should do yeah I mean it's weirdly enough the caravan is actually more portable. Mm. It's certainly more practical and easier to use than the 1620-inch camera that, that I made. I mean, there are obviously people that have made 1620-inch cameras that work really well and efficiently, but mine was a bit of a bodge job. Um, but yeah, no, the caravan was, was definitely one of the first ones. And that, actually, that was that. I mean, that thing I mentioned earlier about these sort of three key elements of what I love most about photography: the making, you know, the constructing of a camera or a space to capture an image, and the working with the kind of in particular traditional processes to capture that, uh, an image and and then inviting people in to that space to experience that to to collaborate on the, with that and to sort of and for me to be able to sort of facilitate other people to make images that's where and it, the caravan was the where that there was the kind of light bulb moment where those three things happened for the first time um i built the camera kind of on a whim um and parked it up somewhere where i live in exeter and people and just opened it up to the public and people could come by and have a pitch taken and experience it and um yeah and it was then that i realized like oh this does everything this is just really satisfying on so many levels because you, your so your caravan because your camera your good boy your caravan <laughs> and camera sound far too similar your caravan rage is a camera obscura isn't it Yes, that's right. Rather than um, taking a photo inside, which is, I believe, obviously, Brad, what, what you do with yours, um, I uh, set mine up as a, a basically a caravan obscura just to demonstrate the physics of light and, and, and kind of like give a chance to sort of show this is what it would look like if you were sitting inside a pinhole camera. It's basically a pinhole camera, um, although it's obviously not light tight it's light tight enough <laughs> to to uh, show the effect um and uh, and then i made the toilet into a little mini dark room itself you see so that was how I, I got it set up but i know that you actually take photos with your caravan is that right yeah yes that's right yeah yeah, yeah. basically just put a piece of paper where the um where uh, the screen would be if you if you imagine <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah well have you if you've got a dark room inside have you never thought about putting a bit of paper there and making an exposure 
Yeah, I, I made that up in t- in the toilet, if you like. So it was all like a separate little area. So you ha- would have a workshop sort of space uh, in the main part of the caravan so that people could sort of hold hold the screen up and, and basically make um, uh, sort of like the image on the on the screen, if you like. And then the little sort of dark room bit in the toilet, because that was easier to make light tight, completely light tight in order to get oh, the image. See. Yeah, got to. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you have any any difficulties with actually making your caravan light tight because that was that was a problem i found uh, was uh, that it was always light creeping in from somewhere <laughs> um i i kind of did yeah I, I yes and no it came with these blinds in the caravan that i just sort of taped you know, i just got some double-sided balcony tape thing mm-hmm. and stuck them in place and i thought they were light tight Mm. Um, and I spent ages like cutting these double-sided strips out, and cutting the, these blinds so, that, so rather than they would like just come down like blinds and sit flush yeah. over the windows. Um, and then uh, I was really set. It was all really neat, and it was like oh, perfect. And then I pulled the door shut, and there was just like these six glowing boxes on the side. Yeah. around, <laughs> or, but yeah. the whole square, the whole windows, yeah. just this Sounds kind of like like a light box. And uh, I was like, oh. Damn, um, how's, how am I going to solve that? And then I had loads of black spray paint left over from something else I was doing. I was like, oh, I wonder if that'll work. And I just spray painted them black with just like one coat of black and it worked perfectly and it's been like tight ever since. So. Fantastic. Yeah. I think that's probably probably the difference because I was, you see, I was also using um, Rosie, I call her Rosie, um, as a, sort of like a photo booth and, you know, like place for some, for people to come into and sort of like sit and and for it to actually kind of also look quite nice inside as like a space inside as opposed to it just being solely as a camera uh, mm. like so um so yeah so i guess that that's a slightly different thing isn't it if you if you're going for just light tight it doesn't really matter what it looks like on the inside you just make sure making sure that you get rid of that you know glowing box of light around the edges which uh, sounds very familiar <laughs> um, <laughs> there, there is something really magical isn't there about just sitting and watching that view yeah just as a contemplative sp- contemplative space just like um yeah sometimes i just like sit with my back to the wall where the lens is and just watch the image that's yeah. being projected from outside and i don't i don't know what it is i've always i've always wondered like what is it about that that's so because you know, obviously, you'll 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 know really well. Like you know, when people see that, their 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 excitement is like you know, it blows people's minds. You know, and it's mm-hmm. just such a kind of exciting, visceral experience for people. And I wonder, like, there must be something kind of primal about that. Like, and you know, obviously, we see the world upside down and um, anyway, and then there's, so there must be something. And I think obviously, it's also lots to do with the fact that you can see it, but you can't necessarily hear what's yeah you as well there's, so yeah there's an element sensory of, deprivation thing maybe yeah an element of sort of um distance it's like you know that that's happening literally just outside and you can see that those people are there or you can see that scene or what have you but but yeah you you're not directly in that scene so there's an element of distance isn't there and it's quite like it's quite like watching a live broadcast almost mm. yeah yeah <laughs> which, it's bizarre which is always fun yeah. Um, sorry. Go on, Graham. No, I'm because you mentioned about the fact that you've got a, yours, your um, your caravan, Brandon, is a lensed camera. Um, uh, what kind of lenses do you buy for a camera? Because um, for a I'm guessing quite. <laughs> so for a caravan, yeah. Because I'm guessing quite 
big ones. What on earth did? Cause, I mean, how big a coverage can you get within the caravan for one thing? And and also, just what lens did you find to stick on the caravan? So, so the lenses that I use for the for the caravan and it's, it's sort of same similar ones or same ones really for the shipping container and and even for the for the bigger spaces that I've um, um, worked in, um, they're process lenses. So. Uh, my understanding of this, and, and I'm probably it's pretty rudimentary my understanding to be perfectly honest, but is that um, so process cameras? So my understanding, the way I kind of the way I've made sense of it, and the way I sort of explain it to other people, and I'm sorry anyone out there that if I've got this wrong, but I think I'm, I'm just about right. Um, is so before before digital technology. So like if you wanted to make an architect's drawing, for instance, now you would make that on in, in you know on a uh, computer, you know, CAD software, and it would be vectorized, so you could blow it up to sort of any size, and and um, and also if you or but back in the day, you would obviously draw out that you draw it by hand, um, but of course there were no photocopiers, so there was no digital cameras to capture something to blow it up. Um, so if you had a big, say, A zero architect's drawing, and you wanted to make a copy of it. You could, of course, take a picture of it with a 35 mil camera or medium format camera and enlarge it. But of course, it's, it's, you know, when you enlarge something, you lose information. Um, so they would have cameras that were the size that were massive cameras, basically, like a, look like large format cameras, but size of rooms that would be able to take a picture of an A0 print, for instance, whether it be a piece of graphic design work, an architect's drawing, whatever. Um, and capture it one to one. So you would take a image of an A0 print onto an A0 piece of either film, or they would. I think they would do um, separation so that you know often so they could sort of print it on lipo presses and things like that. Um, so yes, yeah, so basically these huge lenses with these huge image circles to be able to project a really huge image, so you could capture really detailed. Um, contact print, I suppose, not contact print, but yeah, sort of something like that anyway. So, of course, nobody now uses that technology, you know, nobody, although analog photography is still alive and well, I don't know many sort of analog designers out there. There are obviously some that are still working, um, you know, analog um, graphic designers and uh, typographers and things like that, but it's less, you know, um, you know, it's more of a commercial endeavor, generally speaking. So these process lenses are completely kind of antiquated, basically. They're, they're just sort of around, out there in the world. So I kind of gather them up. <laughs> um, and they, so they project, so I've got a whole range. I've got um, a 610 mil, which covers 16 by 20 really comfortably. I've got a 790 mil, which probably does 20, 24 really comfortably. I've got an 890 um, a 1210 mil, and I just bought a, a 70 inch, which is about 1780 mil um, lens, which which I tested the other day, and it's about it covers good 50 by 70 inches. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. You're going to be able to make some uh, big postcards with that. <laughs> well, I've been. This is what I'm working on at the moment, more and more, is a um, is stuff like I did, I did this project in New York last uh, last year, where I made these giant um, uh, direct positive and and paper negatives that we contacted, and they were they were about they were about that size actually, 50 by 70, 80 inches, 
Um, but uh, you can kind of see that there was a smaller lens I used for them, so you can see the vignette coming in at the sides. But I've been working on this new process recently, and I've built like a tilt shift system, so you can kind of it's like a um, yeah, so you can tilt the lens and the back plate and hold these huge bits of photographic paper, and so the detail you can capture in these prints is because um, it's um, it's. Yeah, just the, you're capturing so much information because it's, um, especially with the direct positive paper, um, there's no enlargement. So it's a 50 by 70 inch print. Um, and, you know, like I said, there's, there's no enlargement. So it's just the detail is, is just ridiculous. It's, I have, again, I have, it's something I've not been able to articulate and explain really. It's you kind of need to see it in person. That, yeah. that, that sounds phenomenal, but I'm not sure that I, I fully understand it because I have little experience with these things. I mean, what, what's the. What's the the resolving power of a direct positive paper like that? Is it is it is it as as you would expect for you know an, your average six by four print from a lab, or is it something that's that's less than that? You know, is it yeah, you know, just just yeah. So is the, is, is the there a way you could describe it like that? <laughs> yeah. So the easiest way to describe it is imagine if you were at the top of a building and you were you had a pair of binoculars and you were looking at um, a building in the distance, you know, a couple of miles away. And so you, you know, the detail that you can see through those binoculars is probably pretty good. They're good binoculars. Um, so that sort of section, if you like, that kind of area of, of, um, of the view that you can see through your binoculars. Now, if you scan the entire horizon with your binoculars, and, or the whole view, you know, there's like image stacking, digital image stacking um, images where people like go to the top of a building or skyscraper, or whatever it might be, and they'll take like a thousand pictures. Yeah, the, um, the gigapixel thing. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. With, and they'll zoom in to each. So they'll zoom, we use like a telephoto lens and they'll capture like, you know, a thousand pictures and then stack them all together. So this, the process I use basically does that, but it's one exposure. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so it's it's all it's just one bit because of the size of the lens and the size of the paper, uh, and the, and um, that it's yeah it's all just it's just one big exposure basically. With with these like with these projects, especially when you're doing them on that size scale, um, I'm guessing that the price per shot is quite eye watering um, because they're huge pieces of paper. Uh, are you pretty good at getting them right first time? Um, <laughs> Or is it just no? This is going to be expensive. Um, I, I test strip test. Um, I sort of test it for about sometimes for up to like two hours of just um, uh, sort of uh, yeah, just cut you know just cutting a small bit of the paper and, and sort of testing the exposure times and stuff like that. Just because I think if I, when I used to work in the dark room and if you've got box of 100 sheets of 8 by 10 inch paper and you can get a bit lazy and you're like oh I should do another test strip but oh I just just try it and I'll just be yeah, 24 seconds that'll be fine and it's like oh damn it's not right <laughs> but then you've kind of you know but you're just that's a bit 8 by 10 inch paper with this I've learned very quickly that you if you just think oh is that oh, is, it, is it is it one minute or one minute 20 seconds oh I'll just do one minute 10 and see what happens um, that's not the thing to do. You like, I really, yeah, I test it for ages basically to get it right because, as you say, um, 
the paper's not cheap. <laughs> yeah, it, it must be very difficult as well, just the, when you're doing long exposures, because you're... Which paper are you using, by the way, the direct positive? So I... Um, I mostly, especially more recently, I've been really trying to refine the using the Harman direct positive. Um, mm -hmm. So for people that don't know, that's um, it's black and white uh, um, gelatin based. So, you know, it uses the same dev stop fix process that, you know, normal multi-grade and any old, you know, negative paper, if you like, uses. Um, and but it creates a direct positive image so it's a kind of a bit like polaroid um but you put it through the chemical trays um as you would with a normal print so you get a positive uh image out of it but i also shoot onto normal photographic paper make a paper negative and then contact print that into a positive that's so that that's a bit more playful it's, it's, you've got a lot more um uh you can be you don't need to get the exposure so perfect with um, negatives because obviously you can just add a bit more time when you're making a positive when you're making the contact print um, it's probably quite a lot of cheaper. space though don't you <laughs> oh my like god that. you do yeah <laughs> try and every... do a contact print from from a 50 by 70 inch uh oh my god paper yeah <laughs> it's not yeah and, you, and it's that's every element of it there's like because so you know like annoyingly as well like sheet material so if you want a bit of like, I don't know, plywood or melamine board or something to lay it down on, well, that comes, they all come in four by eight by four foot sheets, which is 48 inches wide. So everything, all like available materials out there are too small. The, the width of the paper is 50 inches and it's more hassle actually to cut the paper down to size. So I have to, everything has to be like all the materials that I, everything that I use, I have to make everything to um that i need to use so like tables and mounts and various things to like you know dry and flatten the paper and hanging it and every and cutting it and everything's just um yeah it's a labor of love that's for sure yeah and it must be really weighty as well that's the thing when you get to that kind of like sort of size you know especially when it's wet trying to actually hang it up i could just uh, imagine it's a bit like a sort of like giant's house sort of thing you know <laughs> and you're like the tiny person inside it yeah trying to own... wrangle wrangle yeah, it yeah absolutely yeah it's um yeah none of it none of it comes easy that's for sure you, you um you started doing stuff with the uh, caravan um and since then you've done loads of different projects and you were just talking about the fact that you know, you're going off you know around the world sometimes to do these different projects and um and fairly recently you have gone you, you're now working full-time for yourself you've given up the day job and um, you're just pursuing this as your full-time career what sort of projects are people engaging you for because you know the stuff you're doing is um not a standard thing i can't imagine people are ringing you up and uh, generally speaking to you, oh brendan we've seen what you've done with that loaf of bread camera we'd like you to come and shoot our wedding please so what sort of, <laughs> what sort of projects are people getting in touch with you about and and why um so I, oh god I, I look quite a few different things i mean i still i still work a lot in education and um and that you know i i i left my teaching role you know in the institution that i worked at so i could work more broadly and more with more diverse groups of people and more imaginatively and you know i absolutely loved my job and i worked in an amazing place extra college where i am where I still, you know, live in Exeter, and um, but um, 
yeah, I just wanted to kind of, uh, yeah, just have a little bit more freedom to work a bit more creatively, I suppose. And um, so I still, I run sort of workshops, quite a few things locally. The, the great thing about like the caravan, for instance, is it is such a, and I've said this, you know, many times before, and I've shared this on, on um my Instagram and various things that's sort of out there that is such a great space to teach the fundamentals of photography. Um, you know, you can open up, open and close the lens. You can watch the light come through the lens and project onto a screen. So you can see how the relationship between aperture and shutter speed kind of really works. And you can watch the depth of field increase, and decrease and the image get darker and lighter as you open and close the aperture, all these sorts of things. So I take that out and around and then, um, um, I'm working on doing some, hoping to take the shipping container back out and about a little bit more to some sort of photography festivals. And um, so there's that sort of side of things. Um, and then a lot of the, the bigger stuff, the stuff that I'm working on now, um, which is the kind of these sort of transform, transforming spaces, um, big sort of spaces into cameras and capturing images of the views. Um, I'm kind of approach, I'm approaching various people um, and I've got a couple of people that have sort of approached me actually. Um, and the big part of that is the sort of outreach element of it as well. So it's working with a group of people. Um, so for instance, in a couple of weeks, um, I haven't told anyone about this yet. I see well, my friends, um, in, no, it's next week, end of next week. Um, I'm working with a charity based in London called Positive View, uh, who work with, um, young adults from, from council estates around London, mostly in Westminster, um, and we're going to be going up into a skyscraper on uh, the Liverpool Street Station, transforming one of the spaces there and capturing a series of images over the weekend. I think we got the space for four days. So very similar to the New York project uh, um, that I did last year that I mentioned. Um, and the great thing about that is it's like, it's for me, and hopefully if it all goes well for everyone involved, it's kind of a win-win, you know, the building you know, they get a kind of nice PR thing and tick their kind of, um, you know, social engagement box and and they help to fund, you know, me work with a group of people and hopefully give them a really exciting and, and educational and kind of um, rewarding experience. So it's kind of um, those kind of projects are what I'm kind of working on. And, and it's a mixture of people coming to me and saying, oh, we see that thing you did. We've got this group of people that we'd like to work with and we've got this space available and me kind of identifying spaces that I think would work and, and, and approaching them and say, hey, I can offer this experience for, for you and some people that you know, maybe locally that, you know, that could um, that deserve an exciting experience. It is very cool. It's where it got me when I spoke to you the other day. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll be in London because I'm measuring up a skyscraper to make it into a camera. I mean, that's just a cool a cool sentence to be able to say. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Although, as Aid said when I told him earlier, he's like, he's going to need a long ruler if he's measuring yeah. it. Oh, yes. And a ladder. A ladder is good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you that allowed is... to tell us which uh, which, which building it is in in there? My my brother works around Liverpool Street actually in a, in a building called the Heron Tower, and they've got some fantastic spaces quite high up there with some great views. A... It's not the Heron Tower, no. It's the Broadgate Centre, uh, Broadgate Tower. Oh right, okay. Uh, how, I am trying to get in the Heron Tower though. So if you've got a if you've got a contact there, then. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, uh, so, uh, uh, yes, I, I, I do, um, but they're, they're, they are very good, um, so, so they are very good in Salesforce on um, uh, volunteer work and, and charity work, 
um, as I said, my 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 brother actually works for them uh, as uh, and and they, they they it's very easy to get so you, you can even get time off client billable work to go and do volunteer work because they think that's more important than client billable work. So there's definitely there's definitely a oh, wow. uh, a culture fit, you know, uh, uh, if, if you're thinking of doing you know sort of charity or education pieces there. So. Uh, it's conversation for offline, I guess. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, this is, I'm I'm hoping to kind of um, uh, yeah, this process. I mean, where I've got to recently, and like I said, I built a load of new components recently. That I've been testing out, and kind of feel that where I've got to now is sort of three or four years in the making. Everything sort of led to this point, and the images that I made the other day was just testing out my own. And, top of the extra college tower actually just on the eighth floor looking out and over half term was when the one of the classrooms as it was empty and um I've, I've got to a point now where it's uh, the process is really refined um and being able to as i said kind of bring a group of people in to sort of experience that and and inevitably although i've got the process very defined like the all again coming back to those sort of problems you know, when you're working in a new space, everything has to fit in that space. So how you black out the space, how you like washing, you know, these are five fifty by 70 inch fiber based prints. So they need like an hour of washing. So, you know, having to rig up have a whole bag of like plumbing material, you know, plumbing pipes and Jubilee clips and various things that I have to like make really rudimentary um, kind of print washing systems that inevitably evolve something at gaffer taped or jubilee clip to a tap and then coming into a big trough and then the pump coming out of that that ends up going down a toilet somewhere and um and that's again like well the really fun bit of it for me i think most of my kind of cameras and contraptions end up looking like a heath robinson um, drawing at some point it seems unavoidable really um, <laughs> like with the stuff that you're doing with um outreach and engagement and getting people involved how easy is it to get people to you know, especially when you're doing stuff with these you know amazing room size cameras and stuff like that um to i can see why I can, I can easily see how you can get people engaged with doing that um how easy is it transitioning and, and sort of getting them to take that learning and understanding and then shift that into cameras that they're perhaps more likely to pick up than a, a shipping container um well i suppose in a way, it's, I mean, one of the things as well is it's not necessarily just for photographers. And I think just the whole experience, potentially, of being in one of these spaces, you know, especially like up a skyscraper or something. And for people, like the project that I did in New York, you know, that was working with um, a group of young adults from two local foundations that work with young adults from, from sort of underserved neighbourhoods around, around New York. And, you know, there's, if you... If you're, you've never been into the, the you know, into Manhattan um, and never been up in a skyscraper, like if you just go on a tour in one of those spaces and someone takes you up, then you feel like an alien. Like even, oh God, when I go into these places, like you go in and you meet some director in a boardroom and you feel really uncomfortable and it's like, you know, oh my God, I'm totally like a fish out of water. I don't deserve it. I don't belong in this space. But if you then like, and then if you get let out, that's it. Like, you're not, you've not really gained anything potentially from that. Um, but actually, if you spend time in a space and you take a bit of ownership of that space and then you transform that space and then you create something in your, or you're part of a team even better, I think, you're part of a team that creates something really exciting and meaningful and, um, in, in that space, then suddenly like a lot of those hierarchies about kind of position and power and 
and kind of you know ambition and possibilities and all those sorts of things get, get broken down at least just for an instant while you're in there so when we were up in the um in, in new york like it was really interesting there was like the, the the owners and the directors and these like multi-billionaires like were coming into the space and sort of just checking out what we were doing and the people that were kind of operating the camera like they were more comfortable it was like it was their domain like they made this thing and there's these kind of guys in suits coming in not really understanding what was happening and then these like you know 18 year old kids from you know from um from brooklyn kind of going like oh explaining it to them like they're like the, the suited guys the idiot kind of thing and, and i think mm. that's the really exciting thing like i said it's a lot of the stuff like i i aim and hope to do with photography is or with education sorry is is yeah breaking down those hierarchies even even if just for a moment and kind of leveling things a little bit so people can kind of go oh actually why can't i kind of work or exist in this space and if not this space space like it so it's for me it's more about like that experience and the kind of drive and the ambition and the kind of motivation that it might instill in someone and, and the hope that that will then kind of can then be tran- you know they're transferable skills i think they can kind of you can apply them to anything yeah. I suppose um, that one of the difficult because obviously I um, work quite a lot in education and community and volunteer and what have you myself, uh, Brendan. And one of the difficulties is that um, quite often, obviously, you know, we have a very similar approach. These are all things that we, you know, we're hoping to be able to sort of like spread further, you know, uh, ideas and education and what have you. But the difficulties that I've found is that quite often these kinds of um uh, organizations and and what have you lack of funds you know it's really difficult for them to be able to actually you know um get together the money to commission somebody to do this kind of thing have you found that that's the case as well or or have you have you managed to find a different way around around that like quite often it'll be we'd love to bring you in to do this kind of thing but there's just no money in the arts and creative education budget for it you know and that's quite often the problem yeah no absolutely you're totally right well I I kind of um work on a bit of a sort of Robin Hood principle in that respect if you like um which is I I just I I was talking to a friend of mine the other day actually I just wish when people wouldn't it be great if if like prices for projects um were like on pay what you can afford Mm -hmm. um and and so I mean the simple answer is I like there's there's organizations and there's groups that I just really really enjoy working with and I much rather work you know um there's a few local community groups that I've worked with a number of times and and I'll happily go back to them and work for pretty much nothing Mm -hmm. um and then try and get as much out of the kind of owners of a big skyscraper so to sort of fund those other things and and then try and marry those two things a little bit together And, and that's kind of where I'm going a little bit now is it's you're right, you know, lots of um, really fantastic, incredible, hardworking kind of community groups and arts groups and charities really struggle to get funding and, and therefore mm. struggle to get, like, you know, practitioners that are kind of, um, you know, more experienced maybe in their field, not to say that the people that often work with these charities aren't incredible in their own right, but some of those sort of higher profile people. And I think there's some really interesting kind of models of kind of work in that respect where it's like where... Yeah, I suppose it's just drawing people in and, you know, finding, basically finding people that do have funds and do have the kind of money and, and getting them to direct that to these charities. I think that's kind of where 
that's what I'm trying to work on with this, this, especially these London-based projects where it's kind of, you know, like for this one particular, you know, I've, I approached the charity and said, right, I've got this project. Do you mm. want to come on board? Um, you know, we'll, 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 you know, you don't, you just need to provide, you just need to bring the students along and we'll do the rest. And then, and that feels like a really exciting, meaningful way of, of kind of working. Mm. So you're so, doing that as a volu- voluntary on a voluntary basis. Is that is that what you? So this, the, um, yeah. So this particular one is I, you know, was something that I just really wanted to put together and yeah. and kind of use it as a model. But then I have other ones kind of um, coming up where we're where where the buildings will be sort of funding the project through their outreach budgets, through their marketing budgets, through their kind of PR budgets and things like that. Yeah, so so that's the kind of, um, this one in a way is... Uh, um, it gives and that's the a, opportunity to do these other ones if you're able to... Yeah, it's about gathering some content and kind yeah. of getting the package together. And, and, um, and, and that's, you know, the New York project worked. Um, so that was funded by the building. So mm. they they paid for me to come over and, and do it and, and, and for the young adult, you know, all the people mm. from two foundations to come along. And, and that model I think is, is what I want to be putting forward. And it's so the what the project I'm doing next week is, is, is that similar kind of, you know, model, I suppose, but um, yeah, I'm doing this voluntarily and um, to, to try and kind of, yeah, put together a bit of a sort of, package of product to kind of um proposal that i can then go to other buildings and be like look at this incredible experience that we offered if you you know if you fund this and we could bring in you know whether it be a charity that you you know already work with and if you don't if there's if you're needing to kind of you know if there's people you do want to reach out to but you don't have the resources the ability or the contacts to do that then you know i can manage that for you and and or, or with the help of local kind of you know with, with groups and people to kind of bring just a bunch of people on board make something really fun happen are, are these things part of the um positive light projects is that all fall under that umbrella um it's a good question <laughs> no so so one thing i'm trying to work out at the moment having gone full-time self-employed is there's so lots of the things that i do there's these kind of gray areas between them so uh, I tried to make sense of it, but the other day, and it's like there's this sort of difference between myself as a photographer, as an artist, making work and printing and presenting work. And, and hopefully a living as well. Yeah, that hopefully will come into it. <laughs> um, uh, and and then there's my work where I'm working with a group of people. I'm sort of facilitating other people to make images and show images. So the work, you know, like the stuff we've just been talking about, you know, that's a kind of collaboration. I'll be working with people and, and helping them kind of, you know, in collaboration with me, like make an image. Um, and a lot of the workshops I do, it's, you know, I, I don't take the pictures. I just kind of guide other people in the creation of their own. So they might want to make a portrait or a friend or a self-portrait or take a, build a still life. And so that's kind of like facilitating other people's Im- Im- um, making images. And then there's, the work where um, at where I suppose more of a producer in some ways or sort of organizer where I'm kind of setting up space workshops and facilitating other people to facilitate other people to make work. So the Dartmoor Summer School of Photography, for instance, which is a project I started last year and is running again this year as a kind of week-long uh, photography kind of immersive residency thing where I bring in um, a group of professional 
artists and photographers to run workshops over the course of a week. So that's the stuff that's happening under Positive Light Projects. And I'm also setting up a studio, artist-led studio space that's kind of focused on collaborative and participatory photography and, and other um you know, creative visual artist, visual, um, visual artistic mediums, um, where, yeah, just drawing groups of people together to sort of, you know, where exciting creative things can happen, basically. It seems like you've got an awful lot of different different threads that you're pulling. Into the same <laughs> with all of it. That's what I was yeah. going to say. Yeah. <laughs> and the, 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 the nice, the, I, every now and then, I have this sort of temptation, to, or I, I kind of feel like I should, like draw distinctions and lines and kind of uh between the different things but I, I think actually it works way better if one just everything just sort of feeds into the other and um the moment i'm super excited about kind of you know all this the sort of time i have to sort of focus on this entirely and uh and i am doing a million different things at once and um i think as the years you know time passes then i'll probably maybe need to kind of um yeah to sort of clarify that a little bit and make more sense of it and maybe you know create something that's a little bit more sort of sustainable long term but at the moment i'm just loving trying lots of different things and seeing where it all takes me a lot of the work you're producing as you said you're doing with these the, the skyscraper cameras taking these amazing visions from the windows and stuff like that i mean how much um sort of actual uh art are you producing for yourself to then show you know because it seems like quite a lot of the stuff that you produce you may then give away to the people who are there with you on the day and stuff like that how much stuff are you actually making for yourself um do you do things like exhibitions and stuff like that um short answer is not really not at the moment i've uh, but i'm that's another one of the things that i want to work on i at the moment i, I don't have a at the moment, I don't have a, stu- a sort of studio where I can kind of set up. And obviously, with the the cam- most of the processes and the cameras that I use, you know, especially the you know, and the particular the kind of large cameras, um, which is the way I enjoy working the most. Um, I don't have one of them set up kind of full time. You know, it, mostly it's like I've got access to this building for three days or this abandoned barn for a week or whatever it might be. So it's hard to kind of produce a long-term body of work in, in that way. And inevitably, you know, if you're working in different spaces with different cameras and different setups and different people and different materials and developing different processes, then it ends up just being a kind of random mixture of, of stuff, which is really exciting. And that's kind of one of the things that I you know, find most exciting about photography is all the possibilities. Um, but it does mean that there's not necessarily a kind of resolved series or body of work or project as such. So um, that's one of the reasons for, the, you know, the, I, my hope is with these, this sort of London skyscraper, sort of, I hope to build that into a series. So over the next few years, work in kind of multiple buildings with multiple different groups and, you know, in time kind of create a series of images that will be a big kind of collaborative project um, and, you know, with loads of different people kind of feeding into it, I'll kind of, you know, guide, I suppose. Um, but in terms of my own personal work, I've, I've got I've got a project in mind. I've got a thing that I'm working on. I just need to get my studio space sorted um, and then allow some space for that to, to happen. That sounds cool. It's nice to hear that because I said it's great seeing all the amazing cameras that you make and the photographs that they produce, but I, I, it would be lovely to sort of see 
what you could make as a series if given the time and the space to really explore because i would imagine with a lot of the cameras that you're using and you make that you make them use them perhaps a handful of times and then well they grow green mold and (laughs) (laughs) or you eat them yeah absolutely that yeah totally and um yeah i mean that's always a bit of a yeah i think it i used to work um the way I used to shoot before I started making cameras was sort of heading out um, with a large format camera, um, you know, kind of sort of road trip, rock documentary kind of portrait landscape, sort of street sort of style, if you like, just kind of capturing things on the work on the way and making sense of it as you go along and um, observing the world and sort of capturing what kind of seems to interest or excite you and then trying to put that into a series that you know maybe becomes more than the sum of its parts, but when you're yeah working in this way as i mentioned just a moment ago like different cameras and different approaches and inevitably half the time i'm just like right i've made this camera i better test it and i'm just photographing like whichever friend is nearby or whichever random series of objects or view that's in front of me and and of course that's not how you make an interesting photograph it's you know you need more time and development and kind of content and context i think to to make an interesting series of images yeah so um yeah, that's um, I, I need some time and space to, to, to work on that for sure. It must be a bit difficult to work a scene when your camera is a container. <laughs> <laughs> well, amazingly, like, yeah, absolutely. And Well, I always say to my students that there's, there's two ways you make interesting pictures. You put yourself in front of something interesting. Um, so you head out into the world, like I was just saying, and you're a documentary photographer, a street photographer, a landscape photographer, or you put something interesting in front of yourself. So you work in a studio, you construct things in front of the camera, portraits, still lifes, whatever it might be. Um, and obviously with a shipping container, and in particular, you know, tend to just put it down in one place. And then, you know, it's great for making portraits of people. Um, I, I would do love the idea of getting my own like low loading lorry with a crane so I could like put it on a lorry and drive it around and um, I suppose it would be similar to the caravan. Then, well, if I way, get but... like a, an old seven and a half ton of refrigerator truck or something like that, you could do, you, yeah, you could do something like that, couldn't you? Absolutely. Well, the, I've got um, I've kind of been working on project for hoping to material this is hopefully this will materialize next summer um i've just started some ask uh, applications um, grant applications and various things but i'm looking at getting a double-decker bus um and and sort of transforming the whole thing into different elements so you the downstairs and the upstairs could be the camera space so you could have lenses pointing out multiple directions and from the ground floor the up floor upstairs but also have obviously have a dark room in there but a teaching space, a gallery, and a kind of studio, even, and all sorts of things like that. So that's something that I'm, I'm working on. But yeah, the truck camera. I mean, there's obviously there's some amazing people out there that have worked, um, you know, that, that have cameras made out of trucks. There's a few people that I've seen working with them. And but I, I do really like the idea of kind of using the process that I'm using now with the sort of tiltable lenses and the giant lens in the side of the, um, you know, with the with the tilt screen tilt shift screen that i use and diet paper but yeah if i could do that in a in a big lorry that'd be brilliant cool. have you got a lorry you can lend it i don't sorry i don't have i don't have one i can lend you i'm sorry just a just a thought just a thought if anyone out there's got an old lorry they don't want and i'll have it <laughs> Do you do you have like I mean obviously at the moment you're working on some fairly spectacular stuff size wise but do you have um an 
aspirational project whether it's a place or a size or just something ah one day i'd like to do that you know maybe maybe i need to get a bigger lens maybe there's just something that can't but is there a thing that like an, an ultimate goal that you are working towards i don't know if it's what i'm working towards there's one thing i'd love to make a boat camera um and yeah, I'd love to have a camera on a boat. I saw a, um, I was at an exhibition. I guess the in... problem with a camera on a boat is that if you drill a hole into the side of a boat, that's a good point, right? That's a very good point. But you could just do the porthole, you see. Is it be per- yeah, no, you're right. No, I need to be <laughs> so, about so the, that. So the other thing is, and I know this because I've tried to do this in, in games like Grand Theft Auto, is if you try and take a camera when you're stood on a boat, it goes up and down quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, see, this is exactly it. That's what, that's the exciting thing. So Sam put like, a yeah, think of... on a mast on a boat, didn't he? Sorry? That, uh, sorry, there's um, a chap called Sam Cornwell who um, runs SolarCan. I don't know if you um, uh, if you've heard of him. Um, and uh, one of his um, solar cams was basically attached to the mast of a boat. So um, over the course of several months, it recorded obviously as as it would do anyway. But it's all of the tracks of the sun are all wibbly lines because obviously it's moving around very much a lot. Interesting yeah. experiment. Well, this is it, and I think that's one of the things that sort of excites me most. Like, it's all those, you know, going back to the problems and problem solving and stuff. I saw an exhibition in um, Falmouth years ago, and it was these two Victorian painters. I forget their names now, and um, but they both had um, they did these beautiful kind of figurative um, uh, kind of paintings of the Cornish um, sea f- um, fishing kind of community, basically. But they both had their painting studios on a boat so they had these kind of barges basically so they would paint at sea and and you know with the the kind of um concept of ethos of, you know thought that that would influence the way that their kind of brush strokes you know marked the page but also so they could actually get a really you know this realistic view of what it was like to watch someone hauling in a net out at sea you know um so the images have these one, this wonderful kind of movement and and kind of fluidity that you you would I've never seen in, in in paintings from that time. And but so for me, like the idea of like okay, so the boat's going to be moving. So also, so your chemical trays are going to be sloshing everywhere. So I'd need to devise a way of like having like pipe, you know, like big drain pipes with a screw on top so to roll the paper and. Gimbals, that's gimbals. Cool. So if you, if you, that's how you that's how you cook on a boat. You, you, yeah, your, your whole yeah, oven yeah. is on a gimbal, and that's how your kettle doesn't spill. Yeah, ah, oh, that's a good shout. So it's, this is it, and all those sort of different elements, and obviously, you know, those are things wouldn't work. So you'd need to find a way of making them work, and then all those like wonderful kind of compromises that, that all kind of solutions that you have to find. And yeah, so boat definitely. And then I was thinking like submarine camera could be quite yeah. fun. That's what I was just like never camera obscura. Yeah, go for a submarine. They're they're already. I mean, I would imagine they're pretty light. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then like the light would just come through the periscope. If you just put, I if you, I'm not, I'm sure that if you just put a piece of photographic paper at the end of a periscope and made an exposure, um, no, you know, that should 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 work. Yeah, in theory, yeah, shouldn't it? Definitely. Yeah. I wonder if anyone's done that. <laughs> So yeah, that's what I, I'm. I'm it depends on how much light's coming in, right? Well, yes and no. I mean, I one of the 
photos are very taken. dark under the water i think the, <laughs> depends how but, low you are i suppose no, but the, with, with, the, with, the, with the periscope coming out of the water oh really oh so, yeah uh, okay so you're thinking so you, like um not a, a right down at the bottom of the ocean somewhere. No, so well you could yeah you could do but yeah you're right long you know but then you you'd need a really long like hour-long exposure and that would just be a yeah. blurry mess because you wouldn't say no but yeah no, i'm thinking like you like capture what you could see through the periscope but i suppose that why bother being under the water in like the <laughs> kind of like, convoluted way of making pictures but and i don't capture think camera to nessie <laughs> I, I love the fact that you're concerned that you might be finding a convoluted way to make pictures where again let's just remember you have made cameras out of a loaf of sliced bread so, <laughs> sliced bread that's sure surely the light would get in if it was sliced well is it, is it a, there was a slice um, or, uh, it looks like it was sliced bread maybe it wasn't a slice no no they were, they were full loaves yeah i don't know if it would um I, i'd probably need way more gaffer tape if they were sliced <laughs> That seems a strange thing to do to a loaf of bread. Slice it and then gaffer tape it back together. <laughs> back together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, I've got a feeling that we're we're getting towards the we've gone from the sublime to the to the ridiculous in the ideas we're contemplating now. I wonder if it's time to start wrapping up the conversation at all. <laughs> yes, probably, probably. Oh dear. So, so we've talked about the the difficulty of exhibiting your work when it's created in containers and it's uh, and it's uh, so large and what have you. Is there, is there anywhere? Where, or, or let's ask the question the other way. Where would you where would you send people, Brendan, to 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 look at your art? Um, at the moment, yeah. Most most of the projects that I've done, so all, pretty much all of the cameras that I've made are on my website. Um, and I try, like, you know, as I said before about wanting to share stuff, so pretty, I think most of them there's, like, just step-by-step pictures. I mean, they're just pictures from my, you know, from my phone, really, and, and a few maybe that I've just sort of documented on the way. So most of the cameras, the random ones that we've mentioned, are on there. And then a number of the kind of bigger projects, the shipping container and the caravan and the New York um, project uh, are all on there. And, again, like, there's, there's there's quite a lot of kind of I tried where possible just to put, put as much you know, um, of the kind of practical information on there as well. So, like, you know, I've made loads of sets of bellows and there's sort of various pictures of how they were made. It's not not comprehensive and there's way better places and people out there that have got really sort of proper step-by-step guides. But at least it's a bit of an insight and people can hopefully see that it's like, oh, if you break it down into each of the individual components, it's actually not that, you know, hard. It's just the hard bit is kind of drawing it all together, I suppose, and gathering the resources. Um, so, yeah, the kind of, refi- you know, the more refined projects and the random cameras are all on my website, and there's a bunch of videos, a few sort of um, documentaries and, and short features about some of the stuff that I've done on my website, um, uh, which is brendanbarry.co.uk. Um, but most of the sort of more day-to-day kind of experiments and playing around and stuff like that is, um, is on my Instagram, brendanbarryphoto. Okay, cool. Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, it's been great to talk to you. Great to, great to, to understand some of the, the craziness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thanks for having me. It's been really fun. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, stay with yeah, us a few minutes because awesome. I think we've got, some, we've got some news items to discuss, have we? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I say? There's no news like bad news. Um, so, yeah, this is the – well, by the time you hear this, this will not be breaking news, but this evening it's very much breaking news. Uh, the, the photography show, which I think we've mentioned it? 
I think mm. we mentioned the photography show over the last times. few weeks a yes. few times, um, which we're all very much looking forward to uh, happening from this Saturday until the following Tuesday has been cancelled due to coronavirus. No, it's been postponed. <laughs> Sorry, it's been postponed. Listen, same, same as far as I'm concerned. But it's been postponed till September yeah. um, due to coronavirus, which is a real bummer, <laughs> to yeah. use a technical term, um, for, uh, I think, everybody concerned, really, um, the, the, the people who were planning on being there, the vendors, uh, and obviously everybody like us who was going to be attending it. Um, so... Yeah. yeah, we're all really, really gutted about that. There were so many plans and exciting kind of like hopes and hopes and dreams <laughs> um, <laughs> for what the uh, weekend was going to be like. Uh, yeah, in, in all seriousness, though, we are really very, obviously very sad that we're not going to get to see you. We're not going to get to do our sort of um, uh, on the behind the scenes stage live podcast that we were hoping and expecting to do. So, yeah, um yeah, very sad from from all of the, those sorts of things. Um, it has been a, as Graham mentioned, I think at the top of the show, a very chaotic evening of messages. Obviously, you know, flying backwards and forwards and and what have you. And um, but there there have been some discussions, haven't there, in in various groups that that we're we're in um, to see if there are any other sort of solutions to to what could possibly happen uh instead but yeah um postponed rather than cancelled and i know that does feel like the same thing at the moment but um it, at least it would have an impact on um you know anybody who's sort of uh pay, paid to be at the show if you like then um I, I imagine a postponement means that um, at least your tickets would still be, you know, good. The money that you'd spent on at least your tickets and things like that. And obviously for anybody exhibiting and that kind of thing um, would still be good for September. Um, it just means that it's not going to happen itself <laughs> um, this weekend. Uh, the NEC is probably going to be wrapped in lots of lots of hazard tape, I imagine. <laughs> we yeah. wouldn't be able to get in. So, um, yeah, you'd be banging on the door and uh, I don't think they'll let you in, unfortunately. No, but all is not quite lost, is it, though, Rach? Mm-hmm. Amazingly. Um, That's what because... we, yeah, I was alluding to, but I wasn't sure how much you wanted to say because we don't know yet. <laughs> well, I mean, basically, so we're recording this on the Monday evening. Um, but we likely will will have another podcast go out before this one. So if you've heard some information before this which disagrees with this, this is wrong. <laughs> but as the as it currently stands, because there are there are lots of people who had made plans to be in the Birmingham area for the NEC, both in terms of vendors and people travelling there. Um, you know, there's an awesome collection of people who are all coming together, and they've a lot of them thought, well, why should we not do that just because this dumb show's not happening? Um, so trying to figure out the logistics of that have not been terribly easy. But as it currently stands, and I have literally just checked my phone. Have you? Because... I was just about to switch mine on to just double check as well where yeah. we're up to. Go on. So as it currently stands, um, the plan is that on the Saturday, which was obviously the day when we had most of the focus of being there. Um, so if you've made plans, travel plans to be there, if you bought train tickets to come to Birmingham or whatever, we are going to be doing a photo walk in Birmingham on the Saturday. Um, I haven't got more details now, but if you go to 35MMC, there will be a blog article up there with more details. Um, and there will hopefully be lots of people there. I know Hamish will be there and you know loads of people like us who plan to be there anyway um, on the Saturday. And on the Sunday at the Kiln, uh, which is um, the... Uh, 
co what's the correct term co it's a co-working sp- no co-working space <laughs> in um in worcester it's cohabiting uh, the, is something the... else graham yeah. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> right. yeah i think the idea is that we don't cohabit at the moment that's uh oh, right. <laughs> part of the reason behind it being <laughs> shut down um so yeah it's a co-working space um but basically means that there's uh, um some lovely sort of like space in in worcester that um that hamish obviously runs owns etc and uh, it, it was originally going to be that we'd be there on the Saturday, but there is already an event booked there, unfortunately. So it's going to be on the Sunday instead um, that uh, he's kindly um, being volunteered to offer his space <laughs> uh, for us to have a sort of um, a slightly smaller version um, of the analogue spotlight. So analogue spotlight at the kiln on the Sunday. But the nice thing is that although it's just slightly, well, it is only a little bit smaller, really, because a lot of the people who are going to be at the Analog Spotlight are going to be there. So if you were really looking forward to seeing people like, you know, Yuho and the guys from Camera Rescue, they're going to be there. Um, Steve Lloyd from Chroma Camera is going to be there. I think um, Stephen Dowling is going to be there. Hamish, obviously, he's going to be there because he kind of lives there more or less. Um, so a lot of the people who are going to be at the show who you were looking forward to see are going to be Paul, Paul Mackay from Analog Wonderland. I can't imagine you were looking forward to seeing him but let's just imagine um, <laughs> <Same bit. laughs> um uh, so you know like i said this is all still very much coming together at the moment but that is the plan so if you had planned to have a bit of a weekend of doing some fun photographic stuff and you're feeling very sad and upset because it's not going to happen there is still stuff going on um, all is not lost you, yet yes all is definitely not lost yet I, um so if you can make if you just plan to come up on the saturday still come come to the photo walk in birmingham it'll be great fun i'm sure the weather will be lovely and it'll be warm it definitely <laughs> won't be too much um and if you can make it to the kiln which is in worcester on the sunday um in many ways uh, if your sole interest in the photography show was analog stuff this is going to be better because it's just going to be uh, a much smaller, more intimate venue with far fewer people there um, and getting to meet and greet all the people there. Uh, and Yuho is bringing his um, camera... Cambulance. Cambulance, sorry, I knew that was correct. His cambulance. <laughs> um, it's it's going to be chaos. It's going to be great. Uh, we're going to be there. Um, Aid, are you going to be up for both events on both days? or um, and, and likewise with you, Rach? What's I, the sitch? And my intent is to be there. I need to, because this is all hot off the presses as we speak, <laughs> I need to work out the logistics because the hotel I booked in Birmingham, probably or near Birmingham, may not be in the right place anymore. <laughs> So, <laughs> so I've got some stuff I've got to work through, but certainly my intent is is to partake. Yes, yes. Yeah. Same here. I need to. I need to actually sit down uh, with Adam and and try and work out what on earth we're gonna do. Um, in terms of um, obviously travel is gonna be slightly different and where to stay and all, all of those kinds of things and getting stuff down, down there. So, um, yeah. So just just sort of like slightly different, um plans obviously and just need to work out whether it's still going to be that's still going to be possible or to what extent whether it would be just the sunday um or uh, or if i can make the saturday as well so yeah um how about yourself graham what what are you thinking at the moment uh, i'm going to try and make both days cool. and um, i'm really hoping that we can all be there on sunday because i'm still very much hoping that we can at least do some 
do do an abbreviated um sunny 16 live podcast yet because i bought a clown horn specially and i've been I know, really sad. very excited about that and uh, there may even be t-shirts <laughs> the the funny thing is that this morning feels like so long ago now <laughs> after yeah. all this chaos of uh, of this evening and finding out this news and um and this morning it was like i don't know whether these t-shirts are going to be there in time and uh yeah now you've kind of got till September, but if they happen to be around <laughs> beforehand, uh, ready for the weekend, then all the better. Bonus, right? So yeah. yeah. So we very much hope we will still see uh, as many of you as possible at some point over the weekend. Um, but uh, if you haven't already, I said go to Thirty Five MMC. Uh, there is a Facebook group. Um, what's the That's Facebook it? group? Ooh, yes. Um, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, is it new... really called Ooh Yes? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there is one called Ooh Yes, but it might be take you to a, a different kind of content. Ooh, um, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Um, I'm, the reason I'm umming and ahhing about it is because I'm not sure whether they changed the name or not or set up a new one. Uh, that's that's the only thing um i can't actually find it in the chat because there's a lot going on on there <laughs> we had an emergency phone call before which i didn't realize i'd joined <laughs> um no i can't actually find what they've decided i expect by the time that this podcast comes out we'll already have put out more more recent and well. and and better informed information <laughs> so, yeah so we should we should probably stop later, here so. because we're gonna we'll, we'll trip ourselves up and what we wouldn't want to do is trip up other people no no not the same well then we should probably wrap up we should probably wrap up as you said a Yes. Well, shall I do that then? <laughs> yes, please do. We can let Brendan get on with his his important skyscraper me- uh, measuring as well. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Okay, that's a lot of twelve-inch rulers. Right. So, uh, well, there we go. Uh, thank you once again to to Brendan uh, for joining us on the on the show tonight. Have you enjoyed talking with us, Brendan? Oh, it's been great. No, I'm so, I hope I didn't ramble on too much. No, so, no. But no, I've had a great time. Excellent. Great. I'm very glad to hear it. So, everybody, well, we have been uh, the Sunny Sixteen podcast at the end of this podcast we've mostly been a little bit confused about what's happening at the weekend uh but that doesn't uh, that doesn't mean that we won't fix that by putting out information as it gets confirmed uh we hope to see you uh as always um we will play you out uh with rachel's band rocker uh, whose album promises i should have kept uh you can get on itunes and spotify and bandcamp and amazon and probably some other places as well uh <laughs> <laughs> oh, was that Brendan's uh, travel um, hip flask? Hip flask, yeah. <laughs> I, it was, I think it was. It's yeah. <laughs> supposed to wait till we finish recording, Brendan. But okay, hey, no, that's no, all right. No. I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up as quickly as I can. Right, we have been the Sunny 16 <laughs> podcast. It's been an honour and a privilege. As always, uh, we'll speak to you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs>